Chapter Three of the Sad Fortunes of the Reverend Amos Barton from Scenes of Clerical Life by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Three. Outside, the moon is shedding its cold light on the cold snow, and the white-bearded fir trees round Camp Villa are casting a blue shadow across the white ground while the reverend amos barton and his wife are audibly crushing the crisp snow beneath their feet as about seven o'clock on friday evening they approach the door of the above-named desirable country residence containing dining breakfast and drawing-rooms etc situated only half a mile from the market town of milby Inside there is a bright fire in the drawing-room, casting a pleasant but uncertain light on the delicate silk dress of a lady who is reclining behind a screen in the corner of the sofa, and allowing you to discern that the hair of the gentleman who is seated in the armchair opposite with a newspaper over his knees is becoming decidedly grey. A little King Charles with a crimson ribbon round his neck, who has been lying curled up in the very middle of the hearth-rug, has just discovered that that zone is too hot for him, and is jumping on the sofa, evidently with the intention of accommodating his person on the silk gown. On the table there are two wax candles which will be lighted as soon as the expected knock is heard at the door. The knock is heard, the candles are lighted, and presently Mr. and Mrs. Barton are ushered in, Mr. Barton erect and clerical, in a faultless tie and shining cranium, Mrs. Barton graceful in a newly turned black silk. "'Now this is charming of you,' said the Countess Czerlaski, advancing to meet them, and embracing Milly with careful elegance. "'I am really ashamed of my selfishness in asking my friends to come and see me in this frightful weather.' Then, giving her hand to Amos, "'And you, Mr. Barton, whose time is so precious,' but I am doing a good deed in drawing you away from your labours. I have a plot to prevent you from martyrizing yourself. While this greeting was going forward, Mr. Bridmain and Jet the Spaniel looked on with the air of actors who had no idea of by-play. Mr. Bridmain, a stiff and rather thick-set man, gave his welcome with a laboured cordiality. It was astonishing how very little he resembled his beautiful sister for the countess czerlaski was undeniably beautiful as she seated herself by mrs barton on the sofa milly's eyes indeed rested must it be confessed chiefly on the details of the tasteful dress the rich silk of a pinkish lilac hue the countess always wore delicate colours in an evening the black lace pelerine and the black lace veil falling at the back of the small closely braided head for milly had one weakness don't love her any the less for it it was a pretty woman's weakness she was fond of dress and often when she was making up her own economical millinery she had romantic visions how nice it would be to put on really handsome stylish things to have very stiff balloon sleeves for example without which a woman's dress was not in those days you and i too reader have our weakness have we not which makes us think foolish things now and then. Perhaps it may lie in an excessive admiration for small hands and feet, 
a tall lithe figure large dark eyes and dark silken braided hair all these the countess possessed and she had moreover a delicately formed nose the least bit curved and a clear brunette complexion her mouth it must be admitted receded too much from her nose and chin and to a prophetic eye threatened nutcrackers in advanced age but by the light of fire and wax candles that age seemed very far off indeed and you would have said that the countess was not more than thirty look at the two women on the sofa together the large fair mild-eyed milly is timid even in friendship it is not easy to her to speak of the affection of which her heart is full the lithe dark thin-lipped countess is racking her small brain for caressing words and charming exaggerations and how are all the cherubs at home said the countess stooping to pick up jet and without waiting for an answer i have been kept indoors by a cold ever since sunday or i should not have rested without seeing you what have you done with those wretched singers mr barton oh we have got a new choir together which will go on very well with a little practice i was quite determined that the old set of singers should be dismissed i had given orders that they should not sing the wedding psalm as they call it again to make a new married couple look ridiculous and they sang it in defiance of me i could put them into the ecclesiastical court if i chose for to do so for lifting up their voices in church in opposition to the clergyman and a most wholesome discipline that would be said the countess indeed you are too patient and forbearing mr barton for my part i lose my temper when i see how far you are from being appreciated in that miserable shepperton if as is probable mr barton felt at a loss what to say in reply to the insinuated compliment it was a relief to him that dinner was announced just then and that he had to offer his arm to the countess as mr bridmain was leading mrs barton to the dining-room he observed the weather is very severe very indeed said milly mr bridmain studied conversation as an art to ladies he spoke of the weather and was accustomed to consider it under three points of view as a question of climate in general comparing england with other countries in this respect as a personal question inquiring how it affected his lady interlocutor in particular and as a question of probabilities discussing whether there would be a change or a continuance of the present atmospheric conditions to gentlemen he talked politics and he read two daily papers expressly to qualify himself for this function mr barton thought him a man of considerable political information but not of lively parts and so you are always to hold your clerical meetings at mr ely's said the countess between her spoonfuls of soup the soup was a little overspiced mrs short of camp villa who was in the habit of letting her best apartments gave only moderate wages to her cook yes said mr barton milby is a central place and there are many conveniences in having only one point of meeting well continued the countess every one seems to agree in giving the precedence to mr ely for my part i cannot admire him his preaching is too cold for me it has no fervour no heart 
i often say to my brother it is a great comfort to me that shepperton church is not too far off for us to go to don't i edmund yes answered mr bridmain they show us into such a bad pew at milby just where there is a draught from that door i caught a stiff neck the first time i went there oh it is the cold in the pulpit that affects me not the cold in the pew i was writing to my friend lady porter this morning and telling her all about my feelings she and i think alike on such matters she is most anxious that when sir william has an opportunity of giving away the living at their place diply they should have a thoroughly zealous clever man there i have been describing a certain friend of mine to her who i think would be just to her mind and there is such a pretty rectory milly shouldn't i like to see you the mistress of it milly smiled and blushed slightly the reverend amos blushed very red and gave a little embarrassed laugh he could rarely keep his muscles within the limits of a smile at this moment john the man-servant approached mrs barton with a gravy tureen and also with a slight odour of the stable which usually adhered to him through his indoor functions john was rather nervous and the countess happening to speak to him at this inopportune moment the tureen slipped and emptied itself on mrs barton's newly turned black silk oh horror tell alice to come directly and rub mrs barton's dress said the countess to the trembling john carefully abstaining from approaching the gravy-sprinkled spot on the floor with her own lilac silk but mr bridmain who had a strictly private interest in silks good-naturedly jumped up and applied his napkin at once to mrs barton's gown milly felt a little inward anguish but no ill-temper and tried to make light of the matter for the sake of john as well as others the countess felt inwardly thankful that her own delicate silk had escaped but threw out lavish interjections of distress and indignation dear saint that you are she said when milly laughed and suggested that as her silk was not very glossy to begin with the dim patch would not be much seen you don't mind about these things i know just the same sort of thing happened to me at the princess wengstein's one day on a pink satin i was in an agony but you are so indifferent to dress and well you may be it is you who make dress pretty and not dress that makes you pretty alice the buxom lady's maid wearing a much better dress than mrs barton's now appeared to take mr bridmain's place in retrieving the mischief and after a great amount of supplementary rubbing composure was restored and the business of dining was continued when john was recounting his accident to the cook in the kitchen he observed mrs barton's a hamable woman i'd a deal sooner ha throwed the gravy o'er the countess's fine gownd but laws what tantrums she'd ha been in arter the visitors was gone you'd a deal sooner not ha throwed it down at all i should think responded the unsympathetic cook to whom john did not make love who do you think's to mek gravy enough if you're to base people's gowns wi it well suggested john humbly you should wet the bottom of the durée a bit to hold it from slippin wet your granny returned the cook a retort which she probably regarded in the light of a reductio ad absurdum and which in fact reduced john to silence 
Later on in the evening, while John was removing the tea-things from the drawing-room, and brushing the crumbs from the tablecloth with an accompanying hiss, such as he was wont to encourage himself with in rubbing down Mr. Bridmain's horse, the Reverend Amos Barton drew from his pocket a thin green-covered pamphlet, and, presenting it to the Countess, said, "'You were pleased, I think, with my sermon on Christmas Day. It has been printed in the pulpit, and I thought you might like a copy.' "'That indeed I shall. I shall quite value the opportunity of reading that sermon. There was such depth in it, such argument. It was not a sermon to be heard only once. I am delighted that it should become generally known.' as it will be now it is printed in the pulpit. Yes, said Milly innocently, I was so pleased with the editor's letter, and she drew out her little pocket-book, where she carefully treasured the editorial autograph, while Mr. Barton laughed and blushed, and said, Nonsense, Milly. You see, she said, giving the letter to the countess, I am very proud of the praise my husband gets. The sermon in question, by the by, was an extremely argumentative one on the Incarnation, which, as it was preached to a congregation not one of whom had any doubt of that doctrine, and to whom the Socinians, therein confuted, were as unknown as the Aramaspians, was exceedingly well adapted to trouble and confuse the Shepherdonian mind. Ah, said the Countess, returning the editor's letter, he may well say he will be glad of other sermons from the same source, but I would rather you should publish your sermons in an independent volume, Mr. Barton. It would be so desirable to have them in that shape. For instance, I could send a copy to the Dean of Radborough, and there is Lord Blarney, whom I knew before he was Chancellor. I was a special favorite of his, and you can't think what sweet things he used to say to me. I shall not resist the temptation to write to him one of these days, sans façon, and tell him how he ought to dispose of the next vacant living in his gift. Whether Jet the Spaniel, being a much more knowing dog than was suspected, wished to express his disapproval of the Countess's last speech, as not accordant with his ideas of wisdom and veracity, I cannot say. But at this moment he jumped off her lap, and, turning his back upon her, placed one paw on the fender, and held the other up to warm, as if affecting to abstract himself from the current of conversation. But now Mr. Bridmain brought out the chess-board, and Mr. Barton accepted his challenge to play a game with immense satisfaction. The Reverend Amos was very fond of chess, as most people are who can continue through many years to create interesting vicissitudes in the game, by taking long meditated moves with their knights, and subsequently discovering that they have thereby exposed their queen. Chess is a silent game, and the countess's chat with Milly is in quite an undertone, probably relating to women's matters that it would be impertinent for us to listen to. So we will leave Camp Villa and proceed to Milby Vicarage, where Mr. Farquhar has sat out two other guests, with whom he has been dining at Mr. Ely's, and is now rather wearying that reverend gentleman by his protracted small talk. Mr. Ely was a tall, dark-haired, distinguished-looking man of three-and-thirty. By the laity of Milby and its neighborhood he was regarded as a man of quite remarkable powers and learning, 
who must make a considerable sensation in london pulpits and drawing-rooms on his occasional visit to the metropolis and by his brother clergy he was regarded as a discreet and agreeable fellow mr ely never got into a warm discussion he suggested what might be thought but rarely said what he thought himself he never let either men or women see that he was laughing at them and he never gave any one an opportunity of laughing at him in one thing only he was injudicious he parted his dark wavy hair down the middle and as his head was rather flat than otherwise that style of coiffure was not advantageous to him mr farquhar though not a parishioner of mr ely's was one of his warmest admirers and thought he would make an unexceptionable son-in-law in spite of his being of no particular family mr farquhar was susceptible on the point of blood his own circulating fluid which animated a short and somewhat flabby person being he considered a very superior quality by the by he said with a certain pomposity counteracted by a lisp what an ath barton makes of himself about that bridmain and the countess as she calls herself after you were gone the other evening mrs farquhar was telling him the general opinion about them in the neighbourhood and he got quite red and angry bless your soul he believes the whole story about her polish husband and his wonderful escapes and as for her why he thinks her perfection a woman of most refined feelings and no end of stuff mr ely smiled some people would say our friend barton was not the best judge of refinement perhaps the lady flatters him a little and we men are susceptible she goes to shepperton church every sunday drawn there let us suppose by mr barton's eloquence pshaw said mr farquhar now to my mind you have only to look at that woman to see what she ith throwing her eyes about when she comes into church and dressing in a way to attract attention i should say she's tired of her brother bridmain and looking out for another brother with a stronger family likeness mrs farquhar is very fond of mrs barton and is quite distressed that she should associate with such a woman so she attacked him on the subject purposely but i tell her it's of no use with a pig-headed fellow like him barton's well-meaning enough but so conceited i've left off giving him my advice mr ely smiled inwardly and said to himself what a punishment but to mr farquhar he said barton might be more judicious it must be confessed he was getting tired and did not want to develop the subject why nobody visits them but the bartons continued mr farquhar and why should such people come here unless they had particular reasons for preferring a neighbourhood where they are not known pooh it looks bad on the very face of it you called on them now how did you find them oh mr bridmain strikes me as a common sort of man who is making an effort to seem wise and well-bred he comes down on one tremendously with political information and seems knowing about the king of the french the countess is certainly a handsome woman but she puts on the grand air a little too powerfully woodcock was immensely taken with her and insisted on his wife's calling on her and asking her to dinner but i think mrs woodcock turned restive after the first visit and wouldn't invite her again 
Aha! Woodcock hath always a soft place in his heart for a pretty faith. It's odd how he came to marry that plain woman, and no fortune either. Mysteries of the tender passion, said Mr. Ely. I am not initiated yet, you know. Here Mr. Farquhar's carriage was announced, and as we have not found his conversation particularly brilliant under the stimulus of Mr. Ely's exceptional presence, we will not accompany him home to the less exciting atmosphere of domestic life. Mr. Ely threw himself with a sense of relief into his easiest chair, set his feet on the hobs, and in this attitude of bachelor enjoyment began to read Bishop Jebb's memoirs. End of chapter 3 of The Sad Fortunes of the Reverend Amos Barton